Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai, lehenu melech ha'olam, asher kidshenu, b'mitzvotah v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. This morning, I want to continue with the theme from last week about justice and mercy, and I want to connect it to the Torah portion and our other readings. This week's Torah portion is interesting because it focuses on holiness in a number of ways, and one of the focal points is this. There are people who are called to be holy. Now, who's called to be holy? <laughs> All of us are called to be holy. But there's a special focus on the priesthood, which is foundational and important for our understanding, and the priests are called to be holy so that the people can also be holy. Where does holiness come from? It comes from the Lord, from our relationship with God. And holiness means, among other things, to be set apart for specific purposes. So the priests were people who were set apart for a special purpose that God had. And it wasn't just a, like a ritual purpose, and it's not so that the priest can learn magic words and say abracadabra, now you know, you'll feel fine. But the priest had a very specific purpose, and that was the ministry of reconciliation was entrusted to them. They had a a ministry assigned to them to help people who had sinned against God get right with God. Because sin separates us from God. It, in fact, when we sin, you know what? We often feel guilty. You know why? Because we are. Yeah, we feel guilty because we are guilty. It's not just a psychological condition, it's an actual uh, condition of separation. And we can feel that if our hearts are not hardened towards the Lord. So the ministry of the Kohanim, of the priests, was directed towards this to help people who have gotten away from God so that they can get back to God. And the priests had to have the right heart. They had to be willing to help restore people who needed restoration. It's like the ministry of encouragement. You've got to be willing to encourage people who are discouraged, maybe who have done things that have ruined their own motivation. Maybe they're even at fault. But your encouragement is not a matter of deciding who's at fault and you know, who's to blame, but rather what can I do to help restore and strengthen someone. So the priests had this kind of ministry. They had to have a, a kind and compassionate heart to the people who had gotten away from God, recognized their sin, and now they want to get right with God. That's the role of the priest, is to help people be restored to God. And to bring a message to them that says, God is a faithful God. He's a covenant-keeping God. You can't keep yourself and you can't save yourself, but he can keep you. And he can save you. He can lift you up. And that's why in the Amidah, we're proclaiming this, that God is faithful. He lifts up the falling. Say that with me. He lifts up the falling. Now, if you've ever stumbled in life, you will be appreciative of anyone who tries to help you get back up. And the Lord wants to be known as one who is not only 
kind, but he's powerful to lift up those who are falling and to restore them. The priests of Israel were not called because they were already holy. They were called to become holy. That required a relationship with God and a revelation of God's holiness. But it also required a kind of humility because people put in a position of authority and power can, can become cynical about other people. Can you imagine everyone who's coming to you is guilty of some sin? And what they want to tell you about is what they did. I was at the gym once and a doctor said to me, what's, what's the best part of your job? And I said, helping people. He said, what's the worst part? I said, not being able to help everybody. And he said, well, what's, what's it really like? And I said, well, we see people at their best and at their worst. When everything's just sort of going along and middling and fair, you know, we don't hear much. But when people have something good happen or they're facing something terrible, we, we hear from people. But you can't help everybody. You know why? God can help everybody. But no person can help everybody. So what's, what's our, our most important role? It's to tell people that God can help them, that he will restore them. The priests were called to this ministry. Now they were not called because they were already holy. In fact, all the priests of Israel were sinners. Even the best of the best, the high priest was a sinner. And so every priest had to come to the Lord the same way every person came to the Lord, in humility, with repentance, and knowing this incredible paradoxical law of God that says, if you admit your sin, God is faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sin. If you admit it, can you imagine if politicians believe that? <laughs> There's no danger that they will, believe me. <laughs> That's not about to happen in my lifetime, I say as a cynic. But the truth is we can all be political in, in this way. We can avoid being honest with God, thinking if, if we admit what we really are guilty of, it's even worse. We don't even want to say it. Now imagine you're one of the priests of Israel and everyone who's coming to you is ready to say what they did. That could get hard. It could be like, yeah, okay, next. You could tune out. But the priests were called to never do that, to always bring the mercy of God and the love of God. Can you imagine how hard that would be? The, the key for the priests was to know that they had received mercy themselves, to know their own condition and God's mercy to them so that they could love the people. Do you remember this? The one who is forgiven much, loves much, right? And so the priests needed to deal with their own guilt, with their own uh, 
their own estrangement from God, and they were never called to, to be so good that they didn't need God because they were that religious. We read about the regulations that were supposed to inspire them this week. How to stay clean before God. And then there's another theme in this week's Torah portion. It's about holy time. So you've got holy people and you've got holy time. Not everybody knows that time is holy, that time can be set aside. In fact, Yeshua makes it really clear that human beings were made for a seven-day rhythm, like it or not. The Shabbat was made for people, not people for the Shabbat. So we're not, you know, religious robots who are to celebrate Shabbat without thinking or just automatically. We're people who need Shabbat. We need it. We need the rest. We need the refreshment. We need the time with God. We need the time with each other. We need to gather together to stop doing other stuff and gather together with other people who have the same heart, the same realization. We need each other. We need God. I compare Shabbat to oil in a car engine. Now, the engine does not exist for the purpose of the oil. Am I right? The oil exists for the engine. But what if you don't believe in oil? What if you don't believe your car really needs oil? How's it gonna go with you? You're walking, it's just a matter of time. What if you resent that you've got to add oil to your engine. And so you decide, I'm not going to check it. How's it going to go for you? Not so good. So the fact that you don't believe in oil, or you resent oil, or you don't want to put money into oil, you're going to be walking. That's not gonna get you anywhere. The oil is necessary for the engine to function and to continue functioning. In the same way, Shabbat is necessary. But what if you don't believe in Shabbat? You're gonna be walking. <laughs> or driving. Um, but what if you resent these things? Or you misunderstand them and you say, you know, that's too religious for me. It's not gonna go well with you. Regardless of what you think, regardless of what you believe, why? Because people were made with a seven-day rhythm by God, and we need to rest. We need to be refreshed, and it's not just leisure. It's not on the seventh day you shall have leisure. You need leisure too, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about ceasing from our other works and coming into the presence of God, adoring him, speaking to him, learning from him, hearing from him, serving him, serving one another as we as a community do that together. We need that. We absolutely need it. 
So we've got holiness that touches people and holiness that touches time. And in the Torah portion, it talks about Shabbat. It says, you need to keep Shabbat because it's, it's my day. It's set apart for you. You need it. Well, you could read that and say, well, I don't believe in that part of the Bible. To which I just say, good luck. <laughs> now, it's also important to know, as we're going through this, that Shabbat is not the first commandment. And so if you are a Sabbatarian, and there are, then you may elevate Shabbat up to number one and you'll get in trouble because it's not number one. What is number one? Says who? Oh, yeah, right. He said it. Not me, right? He said it. Now, Shabbat is not 297. It's number four in the Big Ten. the top 10 hits of uh, (laughs) commandments. But to love God is number one, and to love your neighbors yourself is number two, and they go together. Yeshua said, all of Torah and the prophets hang on these. You will not get anything right from the scriptures if you elevate something else up to the number one position. You may be more religious, and you may be popular with people who do the same thing, but you will not get it right. So we're reading about people and their holiness and the need to be reconciled to God and to stay clean and to to live a life worthy of God. We read about time, Shabbat. We read about holidays. Some people look at the holidays and say, well, those are Jewish holidays, which is true, but they're not just. They happen to be God's holidays. So it turns out, God may not be keeping like Memorial Day. (laughs) Or May Day, or... But, you can count on him to show up for his days. Now, plopped right in the middle of Leviticus, in this reading that we're doing this week, is a verse that may seem out of place, It has to do with agriculture, apparently, but actually more than that, it has to do with economics, but more than that, it has to do with justice and mercy. But there's something even deeper than that which we'll get to. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, it's been describing these holidays that we're supposed to keep, including Shabbat, And then right there in verse 22, out of nowhere, it says, when you harvest the ripe crops produced in your land, don't harvest all the way to the corners of your field. And don't gather the ears of grain left by the harvesters. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. And some people read that and say, well, that has nothing to do with me because I'm I'm not a farmer. I don't have a field. So this isn't about me. And if that's the way you read your Bible, which is, oh, that doesn't apply, that doesn't apply, that doesn't apply, pretty soon you'll be like Thomas Jefferson, you know, who cut out parts of the Bible that he didn't like, and you'll end up with your personal abridged Bible, and you could say it's your Bible, not his Bible, after you do that. 
So here this is in the middle, and how do we read it? Well, we don't just read it as if it applies to someone else at another era. It's important to understand that, the past understanding. It's important to, to think about what did this mean to the people who lived in an agrarian society and had such fields that they needed to harvest and so forth. But we have to ask another question. What did it feel like for them? What was the purpose that they saw in doing it? Why is this important? Because when we get that right, then we can apply it to ourselves. Otherwise, it won't connect with us. Now, one of the distinctive qualities of those who follow the Lord is that they care for the poor and the immigrant. This is right in the middle of important passages about holiness, and it could seem out of place until you understand it's not out of place. It's actually central. And it helps us understand something that celebration is not only about religious rituals. There's something more to it. Now, Yeshua commented on these ideas. We're going to read about it in Luke chapter 11. You can turn Luke 11, verse 33. And he speaks in a way that I think helps us focus our hearts and and our attitudes. This is a great passage to read. We're not going to look at the whole context. Some parts may be very familiar to you to the point where you don't even notice the other details, but I would encourage you to pay attention to the details. So in Luke chapter 11, verse 33, Yeshua says these words, No one who has kindled the lamp hides it, or places it under a bowl. Rather, he puts it on a stand so that those coming in may see its light. How many are familiar with that idea? You've heard it a lot, yeah. Well, read on, verse 34. The lamp of your body is the eye. That verse is connected to verse 33. The lamp of your body is the eye. When you have a good eye, your whole body is full of light. Say that last phrase with me, full of light. When you have a good eye. A good eye. It turns out that a good eye is a Hebrew idiom that means when you're generous. It doesn't mean when you have 20-20 vision or beautiful blue eyes. When you have a good eye, that is when you're generous, your whole body is full of light. But when you have an evil eye, your body is full of darkness. Now, an evil eye does not mean a stink eye. (laughs) Y'all know what I mean by a stink eye? You know, okay. (laughs) That's not what it means. It means the opposite of a good eye. An evil eye is stingy. So this is what Yeshua is saying. When you're generous, you'll be filled with light. And when you're stingy, you'll be filled with darkness. Stern brings that out, as did David Biven in a great book from years ago, The Difficult Words of Jesus. Verse 35, Yeshua goes on, so take care that the, and this is tricky language, that the light in you is not darkness. Take care that the light in you is not darkness. If then your whole body is filled with light, with no part dark, 
it will be completely lighted as when a brightly lit lamp shines on you. You get that? No one takes a light and then just covers it. They use a light in order to shine, to make something clear. Now, where does light come from, Yeshua is saying? It comes from generosity. Your generosity will illuminate everything in you, and it will have an effect on others around you. That's where verse 37 is going. That sets us up. As Yeshua spoke, a Pharisee asked him to eat dinner with him, and so he went in and Yeshua took his place at the table. Now, when you read this, be really careful, because when you read the word Pharisee, you might say, well, thank God I'm not one of those, which simply means you are. (laughs) So better that we read it as if it applies to us. So as Yeshua spoke, a Messianic asked him to dinner. A believer asked him to dinner. An evangelical asked him to dinner. A fundamentalist asked him to dinner. Pick, pick your club, but make it as if it applies to you. A Pharisee asked him to eat dinner with him, and so Yeshua went in, he took his place at the table, and the Pharisee was surprised that Yeshua did not begin by doing netilat yadayim, the washing of hands, the ritual way to wash, that was considered necessary in order to be fit before God. So Yeshua didn't do what the Pharisee would do. Now you can ask yourself this question. Is that rude? Yeah, maybe. Maybe you can decide for yourself. Is it impolite? Maybe so. You know, why didn't he just follow the custom? Well, here's the reason why he didn't follow the custom. He's teaching as Messiah. And sometimes when Messiah wants to teach us something, he will be unorthodox. And he'll disrupt things. He'll do things that are provocative even. And if that's not happened to you yet, you probably haven't been paying attention to him. It's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to you. So Yeshua is eating with people who have a spiritual rule that you have to wash your hands a certain way before you can start eating or you're not fit to eat. And Yeshua doesn't do it their way, which immediately gets the attention of his host. It says he was surprised. What's up with him? Verse 39, then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees, you Messianics, okay, let's say it that way, okay? Let's bring it home. You Messianics, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside, oh, you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. That could be said in a lot of different ways. You silly people, you naive people, you stupid people. (laughs) Take your pick. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside too? You wash the outside, 
and you don't wash the inside? Verse 41. Here he gets to to the heart of it. But now, as for what's inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. He, at this moment, is pointing back to the very idea we just read in Torah. Here you're going through all the, all the customs, even the regulations. You're doing the religious stuff impeccably, but wrong. How can that be? How can you be so fastidious and careful with every detail and get it all wrong? And the answer is, you've missed the heart. Religious folk can do this. That's why Yeshua is speaking to someone who takes their spiritual life very seriously. And he says, woe to you, messianics. Is it all right that I say that? Woe to you, believers. Because you do give God the tenth of your mint and rue and all the other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. And Yeshua says, you have an obligation to do all these things. The tenth is good, good. But loving and caring for the poor, this is also important. And for the immigrant and the oppressed, it's also important. The love of God is connected to justice, tzedakah, charity, Righteousness, they're all part of one thing. They can't be separated. And so Yeshua is saying, you did one part good, but you didn't do the whole thing right. Get your heart right. But what if you say, well, I don't believe in that stuff. I'm not interested in the poor. I'm interested in Shabbat. Well, that's why this idea in Torah is inserted in the middle of the list of observing holidays, because it's connected. You see, the heart has to be right. It's not enough. We don't want to limit ourselves. Holiness is not expressed only in the realm of religious ritual and behavior. It goes deeper, and there's purpose, and it touches the heart. But what if you're not interested? You say, well, my heart hasn't been touched. I would say, get touched. This is how I compare it. Because for me, it's very practical. Yesterday, I went with my wife to the upholstery shop. Probably not my favorite kind of place to go. Ring to the truth. (laughs) I went to the upholstery shop, and I spent time with her and I stayed engaged. Now, there was a time when she and the upholster fabric person were talking about how fabric was going to be put on this piece of furniture. And I understood every single word. But when you put them together into sentences, I understood almost nothing. But I decided to try to stay engaged and to be helpful if I could, or at least to understand. 
And, and guys, I can tell you this. You can learn to be interested in things that you didn't know you needed to be interested in. And so during that time, the, the person working at the upholstery shop took Sandy aside and said, is he your husband? <laughs> because she wanted to make sure I was the one that Sandy had said was her husband the other day when they were together. And Sandy said, yeah. And so she said, okay, I, I just wanted to make sure. And then she came back and she said, you guys are adorable, you must be newlyweds. <laughs> and we laughed because in a few days we're celebrating our 42nd anniversary. And as you know, as is our custom, as we approach our anniversary, we get out of here. <laughs> because we need time just for each other. But this, this person was saying, you know, it's just so wonderful. And I was trying to imagine how hard it is for us guys sometimes, not to feign interest, but to be interested. I'm practicing being interested in laundry. <laughs> and that kills me. It does not come easily. And, and there are a lot of reasons, but one reason is, well, it's, I've got this theory I tell my grandkids. Everybody comes from one of two countries, Slobovia or Nitsylvania. I come from Slobovia. And so the other day I was doing a load of laundry or trying to. It was a simple load of whites only laundry and they'd been separated. You know, it was like it was some towels, some sheets, some socks and undershirts, something like that. I thought it was, you know, like on the difficulty scale, like remedial, my level. And, and so I put it in the washing machine, and it ran the cycle. And I said to Sandy, do you want me to put it in the dryer? She said, no, you won't do it right. <laughs> I said, how hard could it be? Like, you know, you, you do this, you go in, and then you do that, and you push the button. She said, it's, there's more to it than that. I said, well, what is it? Now, at this moment, I want you to understand, I'm seriously wanting to know. And she said, well, you have to separate out these different things and put the sheets in separately. And I said, why? And she said, they will dry better, they'll finish better, and then when you put them on the bed, they'll be softer. I said, oh. <laughs> so that's how you do it. Okay, so I did put those in separately. And when they were dry, I went to her and I said, the cycle's over, do you want me to take them out? And she said, no. And I said, why? And she said, you don't know how to do it. And it, I mean, she's saying it in a nice way. And I'm thinking, you put your hands in, you take them out, and as a Slobovian, I can fold things like this. 
And she says, no, that's not the right way. If you're really interested, come and watch. And I was. And so I went and I saw how she did it. And she took care of each thing particularly well, as it needed. And afterwards, I said to her, I really admire your attention to detail and your skill and the way you do this so well, it means a lot to me. And I could only imagine what she was thinking after 42 years. <laughs> but she was gracious to me. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is I learned that you could be totally disinterested in something and then you could learn to be interested. But what if you're disinterested in taking care of the poor and immigrants? You can change. Do you see what I'm saying? Don't just say, well, it's not in my heart. I would say, fix your heart. Get your heart right. Well, how do I know it's for me? It's for all of us. Do you see what I'm saying? Be generous to the poor. That'll clean up a lot of things for you. That's what Yeshua said. Tithe, yes, that's good. But don't neglect charity and don't neglect the love of God. There's more to it than that. So it's, it's my hope that as a community, we'll keep letting the word of God challenge us, especially in the areas that we are neglecting and that we'll grow stronger and better in it. Are you for that? Good, because it will help us. And we'll allow the words of Yeshua and the, the light that he brings to Torah and the profound teachings of Moses and Yeshua and the prophets of Israel to really have an impact on us in ways we couldn't imagine. And then we'll be more useful. Not only that, we'll have more fun, will be more interesting, our lives will be more satisfying. Light will fill us up. That's what Yeshua said. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you teach us. You instruct us. You give us ways to live for you and in this world. Thank you for your kindness and your patience with us. And let it be, Lord, that we have good eyes. We have generosity. We're not stingy and we are filled up with light. Lord, let us experience all that you have in mind for us as we live the lives of generosity in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're gonna close our time with Aaron's blessings. Please rise, and I invite you next door to the Shalom Center for coffee and fellowship. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai, panave lecha v'yichunecha, yisa Adonai, panave lecha v'yisem lecha, shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his own face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Shabbat shalom.